It's good to be back with you guys. I always love coming. I feel welcomed, uh, very welcomed every time I'm here. So thank you for uh, the welcome again this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, had a nice drive down this morning and uh, from Anderson. It's amazing when you wake up early what you can accomplish in a day. I woke up and did a little uh, pray time and at home. Said bye to my son who's driving back to Atlanta. And drove to Columbia and dropped off food for uh, friends. Came over and hung out for a little over an hour at IHOP uh, right here up the road. And got here. I'm like, wow, it's not even 10 o'clock. So it's amazing. It's it's really good. Uh, we're, we, I started a series here last time, and I'll probably have to tell you it every time. You're in Galatians here, right? Isn't that what you're doing? Um, and uh, so we're, I started a series on a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So you could turn to your copy of God's Word because we're going we're to kind of walk through those verses. And uh, it's really a four-part series, so depending on how often I'm here, it'll be either a two- or four-year series. <laughs> um, or, or less or more, depending on, uh, on when you guys have me back. But what I'm going to do each time is we'll uh, briefly catch you up, but we'll catch you up fairly well. So we will take a little time in the first, uh, the last three verses of chapter two, in the first seven-ish, eight verses, seven or eight verses of chapter three, and then we'll try to move on to hit probably verse 14 or 15 today. Um, and then we'll do two more sermons on verses 16 through 21 at some point. So... Uh, yeah, you got to really think and keep your notes, I guess, uh, to remember all that. Uh, today, I'm, I'm not going to do a lot of extra illustrating. It'll be a little more teaching-ish uh, than normal. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe one illustration I was trying to think about doing is, if you're a football fan, a college football fan, in the state of South Carolina, you're probably going to know a few things. You're probably already going to be aware that Clemson, my, my Clemson Tigers... Um, and, and some of, I could say, our Clemson Tigers beat some of your Gamecocks pretty badly last, last night. And uh, you would know that if you were a college football fan, that would be true of you. You would, you would also know that Carolina had a pretty good year this year, better than expected year this year. And uh, Clemson is kind of right at the expectation mark. Uh, you would know that. You would know that Clemson, if they win the next game, they're going to be in the playoffs, uh, the, the four. And, and you would know that the playoffs included, college playoffs included four teams. Now, I'm not saying you would approve of all that stuff, but you would know that. Uh, and there is a point. The point is Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he was talking to a ruler of the Jews. He was talking to the one who the Jews would look up to, uh, and he would be teaching them the law of God. And uh, so Jesus said, if if you're a ruler of the Jews, then I expect certain things that you would believe and that you would teach and that you would do, just like we would expect if you're really a college football fan in the state of South Carolina, you would know some of those things. Jesus expected some of those things from the ruler of the Jews who, who was teaching his Jesus' law and Jesus' scripture to the people. And um, we saw the first time I was here that, uh, that those things didn't connect. Even though Nicodemus was the ruler of the Jews, some of the things that Jesus said, this should be true of you, was not true of him. He didn't even understand the way to salvation. Uh, he believed, as we will see, that Jesus was a teacher, just like he was a teacher. What he didn't recognize is that Jesus was the king. And so that was a really good lead-in in the sense of God's kingship and Christ's kingship. That Jesus is the King. Um, before I go further, I'm going to pray, and then we'll take some time to review uh, the first 
section, and we'll move on a little bit past that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for time that you've gathered us together, your body, your church, your people. Uh, Father, to turn our attention away from ourselves and more and more uh, toward you and toward others. Father, that's not just for the Sabbath day, that's for every day. And the Sabbath day is to instruct us how to do that. Father, we thank you for your conversations that you've recorded in your scriptures that we can listen to and overhear. They were not meant just for Nicodemus, but for us as well. And so, Father, I pray that as we read your word, that you would open our blind eyes and deaf ears, for your spirit has to do that work if we're to see anything good and if we're to get anything from this text. And, Father, I pray that you would do that and you would change our lives, and may we see you not as simply a good teacher, which you are, Um, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords who does teach us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, In the first four chapters of uh, John, I'm going to give you like this brief overview. I did this last time too, but it'll help us kind of understand what's going on here. In the first 18 verses of chapter 1, which is like the, the, um, the introduction part, really the, the prologue, that's the word I wanted to get, the prologue, um, you really need to know those 18 verses very well if you're going to study the Gospel of John. Anywhere in John, you can, uh, where Jesus is teaching or doing conversations with folks, he's going to be pulling from the truths that he taught in the first 18 verses of chapter 1. So we're going to go through and teach that first. How long do I have? I'm just kidding. Um, but those first 18 verses, and we're going to try to hit some of those verses in the first 18 verses of chapter 1 occasionally through the teaching uh, today, last time, and the next couple of times. We'll try to refer back to some of that teaching in chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Jesus goes and, and he's starting to gather his team. Uh, the team that he's going to share, like the Messiah is here. And so he starts gathering his team and um, he doesn't pick the people that you and I might choose. He doesn't pick the four-star or the five-star, you know, recruits. I'm still talking in that college football language. That's okay. He, he picks the people who would never get recruited, that you would think, man, they, they don't even know what a football looks like, you know? They think it's round. Um, now, if you're from a different country, you might understand that soccer. They call that football. But um, he, he picked people that we wouldn't pick. So he gathers his people, um, very interesting and amazing stories there of God's sovereignty as he's doing that. And then in chapter 2, he takes his disciples, his followers, and he sets off uh, to, to really show who he is, that the Messiah is here, he's come. And so he starts his public ministry, and he starts his public ministry at a wedding. And the wedding is Cana, at Cana, and Jesus' mom is there. If you know the story a little bit, they ran out of wine, and then Jesus turned the water into better wine. And uh, so that's what's happened. That was his first miracle. And uh, then at the end of chapter 2, we pick up, and I'm going to read uh, verses 23 through 321. So I know you guys uh, are, are used to long passages because we just had 42 verses read, and I'm glad that that's true of you. There's not very many churches that get that, um, that kind of reading. And uh, so we're going to read another portion of Scripture, and would you give attention to God's Word? And I better read it out of this version, not mine. Are you in the ESV? Okay. It's very, very similar because I was taking a look at it, but I I usually use the New American Standard. Um, Instead of the, what's the ESV is the, uh, what would the Babylon be? What do they call the ESV? Anybody don't remember that? You should look it up. It's really really good. Um, Okay. I think it's every scholar's version. That's what it is, every scholar's version. So now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. 
when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you do not hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever, does what, but, but whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen what his works have, uh, that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's word. Um, the, we, we just went over a little bit of the first chapter, the second chapter of the Cana uh, uh, wedding, and then the, turning the water into wine. And at the very end of that chapter, it's still the time of the Passover, and Jesus uh, is doing all these miracles. He's healing diseases, and he's causing the blind to see, the deaf to walk, that type of thing. We don't have all the records of exactly what he was doing, but we have recorded here that people were believing in him. Many people were believing in Jesus. And they were believing in him because of the things that he was doing and the, the miracles that he was doing. And then it's very interesting uh, people, you know, pretty successful start out of ministry, like he's right. I mean, Jesus and his disciples are going and trying to win people to him and like trying to gather the troops and uh, cause people to believe on him. They wanted people to believe in the Messiah. That's why they were going out. And it says that many were believing and you would think Jesus is like rejoicing and getting really excited. And Jesus says, it says this, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to those people who believed. 
And I can imagine the disciples were probably like, what? what? What's the deal with that? Th- these people believe. They really believed in you uh, because of what you're doing. They say that you, you're, you're Jesus. And it says that Jesus knew what was in their heart. He didn't need somebody to tell him what was in their heart. He knew their heart. And that, that theme goes through this whole conversation with Nicodemus. We need to kind of tuck that away, that truth, that Nicodemus didn't know his own heart like Jesus knew Nicodemus's heart. You know, Nicodemus thought he believed, and yet Jesus knew that he didn't really believe to salvation. You know, we can make confessions with our own heart and say, oh, Lord, I believe, I will do that, and God knows our heart. And it says that Jesus, on his part, didn't entrust himself to those people who believe. So we can surmise this, that those people didn't have a belief that led to salvation. They had a belief into some facts that Jesus was doing neat things, but they didn't have a, 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 a knowledge and a belief that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that we need him uh, and not just add a bunch of good works ourselves. Um, that's the same thing that Nicodemus was going through. So these people uh, believed in Jesus, but not a belief that was leading to salvation, not a belief that led to a relationship with Jesus. Um, then it says that Jesus knew what was in the heart of men, And then the very next verse, which is a chapter change, is bad chapter change, because uh, it goes in and it says this, and there was a man of the Pharisees or the ruler of the the Jews named Nicodemus. And so the transition is this, uh, Jesus knew what was in man's heart, and then it says, and here's a man, here's an example of that. Um, Jesus knew what was in the heart of Nicodemus, um, better than Nicodemus knew his own heart. And then it says, and... um, and now there was a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, and we, we mentioned this last time, but that's been a long time ago. Uh, the Pharisees was a, an organization. It was like uh, the, the, the serious, the, the party of the serious. It's kind of like a political party. You know, you had Pharisees and Sadducees and, and all that. It was like a political party, and it was a party of the serious-minded. It would be the people who, who really knew the Word of God. They would be able to quote First Samuel chapter 20. They wouldn't need to be reading it. They would probably be quoting it. Uh, they would know the Bible backwards and forwards, perhaps, um, especially since Hebrew is read backwards. But they would know all those things, and they would have had a, a good handle on, on the Word of God. The Pharisees were the party of the serious, not just serious students, but they were stu- uh, serious in their walk. They're the people that you would want your kids and your grandkids to hang out with. You know, if they went to college and you're like, man, they're hanging out with the Pharisees, you'd be like, Phew, they're going to be okay, Right? And Jesus is like, no, they're not going to be okay. Um, but they were the party of the serious. And uh, the Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews. That means he was a ruler in this sense, that the ones that ruled the Jews were the ones that were the lawyers. Now, not the lawyers as we know lawyers, but the lawyers, uh, they knew the law of the Lord. And they brought the law of the Lord to bear uh, on the land and on the people. So in a, a lot of senses, they knew a lot of good theology. They taught a lot of good theology. They got a lot right. Um, but at the same time, we see in the story that although they got a lot right, they themselves were not right with God, uh, even though they thought they were. And it says that this man came to uh, Jesus at night. And we mentioned this. I mean, we, a lot of people thought, well, yeah, they came at night because he was checking out Jesus. Like, here's a Pharisee who didn't believe in the Messiah. They would have looked and they would have seen Jesus working all the miracles and people believing in him as a threat to their leadership. Man, listen, we got we to gotta do something. You know, here's Jesus doing all these things and many are believing in his name and, you know, they're following him. They need to follow us. 
And uh, so some people, and I, I always heard it taught that Nicodemus went at night because he wanted to know about how do I get saved. But nowhere in this story do we see that Nicodemus asked, like, how do, I, how do I become a Christian too? He's not asking that initially until Jesus introduces him to the need. Uh, he's not coming uh, initially for that purpose. Now, he could be coming at night, I think, uh, two things. Um, and bef- i got to keep moving along or we're just going to preach the same sermon as last time. Um, but uh, one thing is this. In the book of John, John uses the metaphor light and darkness to, to, rec- to, to talk about our sin and our understanding of Scripture. Like in light we're, means we're coming into the, the knowledge of Christ and darkness means we're living in our sin all the way from chapter 1 to the very last chapter. He uses that metaphor all through it. And so one thing I believe is that Nicodemus was coming and he wasn't coming as a Christian. He was coming in the darkness of his soul and he needed to come to the light himself. Now the other thing, he could be coming at night because the, the Pharisees might not have wanted people to think, uh, are the Pharisees checking out Jesus too? Do they want to know? Do they want to be saved? So uh, perhaps those two reasons. So he came at night and he said, um, he said to, to Jesus, Rabbi, hey, like teacher, we believe that you're uh, sent from God because people couldn't do what you're doing unless they came from God. And what he was saying is he wasn't really putting Jesus above the Pharisees. He was just putting Jesus on the same level with the Pharisees. He was basically doing some bipartisan work. He was like, we're going to lose all our followers if we don't like get alongside Jesus. And it's like, okay, let's work together, Jesus, and have these followers. So um, he believed that Jesus was a teacher, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the king, was the Messiah. Um, and then Jesus answered him. Now, we made a point last time to say Nicodemus had not even asked a question. And yet uh, Jesus answered him, and he said something profound. He said, truly, truly, I say to you that you must be born again. And that born again we looked at means born from above or born anew. You got to uh, gotta start all over again because you can't be right with God on your own. Um, and uh, that really, Nicodemus was like, how do, you, how do you become born again? Do you get back in your mother's womb and be born a second time? And I know that he was thinking Jesus would say, of course not. I mean, you just need to be a little better But Jesus didn't say that. He repeated and said, truly, truly, you must be born again. And we made a statement. We don't use the word truly, truly. uh, But here's Nicodemus. He's grown up believing certain things. He's grown up believing that if you're good enough uh, and if you do the law and keep the law perfectly, you're going to be good. And he grew up believing that he had done that. Uh, And when we grow up with believing certain things, sometimes we need to be shaken and like, listen, listen to me. Like, that's not the way it is. And Jesus was doing that. He was very graciously getting Nicodemus and saying, look at me. Listen to me. Like, you're going to, you know, you're not going to have a relationship with me. You're not okay, Nicodemus. Um, And that's what we need sometimes as believers. We've grown up believing certain things and living certain ways. And we need to come and listen to God's word like Nicodemus was listening and kind of put our hand over our mouth and say, teach me and uh, just glory in the words of our Redeemer. Um, So truly, truly, I say to you, and um, he's like, how how am I born again, born anew, born from above? It's not something that we can do on our own. Now, that kind of gets us to the start of today's message. And you're like, but that's where we are. We might not make it to chapter verse uh, 15, but let's, let's keep going. 
Um, before we do, let's do look back at John 1. If you would turn back to John 1, I want to reference a couple of verses there, verses uh, 11 through 13. And um, we're going to kind of see how John 1 plays a pretty important part in all of the Gospel of John. In John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own, Jesus came to his own people, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we see that Jesus is really pointing out to Nicodemus these truths. The only way you can be right with me is if you're born anew, born from above, born from God. It's not the will of man. You can't just know the scriptures and live according to them and come to Trinity on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. I don't know if you have all those services. But uh, whenever the doors are open and you're here, it doesn't mean you're okay. Because the Pharisees would have been here more than you. And some of you are like, ah, I work VBS. I'm here a lot. And uh, the Pharisees would have done all the things that we would think uh, would characterize a believer, a godly person. And Jesus is saying, uh, you have to be born all over again. You have to start all over again. And then in verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You might have seen some uh, videos of the hurricane. And if you, uh, if you see videos, um, sometimes my connection between the Bluetooth on my car and my phone doesn't work too well. At least initially. It takes a little bit of time to connect. And so I'll watch a video or parts of the video without any sound. And some of the hurricane videos, you could see just trees being uprooted. And you're like, wow, what caused that? You know, there was no uh, big machinery or anything. And then you can turn the volume up and you can hear that it's the wind, you know, this massive wind, but you can't, still can't see anything. But there was an effect. And Jesus uses a metaphor of, of the wind when he's talking about how the Spirit works and how salvation works. It's not something that we can see it's not something that, that we do. Uh, it's not just saying a prayer or some physical thing. It's the Spirit of God transforming a heart of stone. And he's saying this, that salvation's like that. It's like uh, he's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, it's not just all your outward works that you can see that you do or don't do. It's not that. It's a work that God does. Only God does, and he does it from within, and he changes your heart. Um, and yet, uh, the truth is, it says that it has an effect. You know, we might not be able to see it, but it does have an effect. It should change the way we look, the way we work, the way we obey, what we do. And um, if you're a believer, then uh, if you're right with God, it's not because of the good works that you do. But if you're right with God, God has done a work of a spirit within your heart, and it will cause you to what? Have those good works. You might want to say it this way. If you're a Christian, you should have the windblown look. Um, that's, that might be a little funny, but I hope it sticks. When you're just walking through the day and through the week, you should have uh, the look by the character of how you live and what you say that you've been redeemed by the Lord, that your heart has been transformed by him. You need the windblown look, not just on Sundays, but every, every day. So a, a real believer might look a lot like the Pharisees, right? Probably will. Uh, but the foundation's a whole different foundation. For the Pharisees, for Nicodemus, it was his good work. But for the believer, it's the work of the Spirit. That's uh, what he's saying in verse verse 8. Um, and then in verse 9 says this, Nicodemus was faced with a lot of difficulty. How can a man be born again? So Nicodemus said, how can these things be? 
Five words. How can these things be? Now, what's uh, one interesting thing in Jesus and Nicodemus' conversation, in, in my New American Standard Version, and it's probably very similar to the ESV, um, they're, they're talking, and uh, Nicodemus starts off using 29 English words. I don't know how many Greek words that is that he actually used, but in the English, uh, he used 29. Then Jesus responds a little bit, and then uh, Nicodemus uses 27 words. He's still talking a pretty good bit, and then Jesus talks, and then Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Five words. And then he just puts his mouth, his hand over his mouth, and he listens to Jesus teach. And it reminds me a lot of Job. If you know Job, Job uh, is coming into the, the throne or the court of God in uh, Job 38, I think it is. And, um, and he goes in and he's dialoguing, what, what's the deal with this, God? Why did you do this? And God's like, where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I laid its foundations? Where were you when I took those lightning bolts and you know, put them right where I wanted them? And then finally, Job gets the picture and he says that he puts his hand over his mouth and he listens. Uh, and he listens to the God. And I think that there's something there for us that sometimes we just need to come to God's word, not with all our preconceived this and that and the other, but like, Lord, would you just teach me? And that's kind of what he's doing with Nicodemus. He's teaching Nicodemus uh, the, how, an answer to Nicodemus's question. He didn't, he didn't come with that question initially, but now he has that question. How can these things be? And then Jesus starts teaching him uh, in verses 10 through 21 how you can have a right relationship with the, with the Lord if it's not just your good works. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, oh, backwards. When you print on both sides of the paper, that's why that did that. Okay. Um, verse 11. Truly, truly, says it again. Listen to me. Listen to me. You can use that with your kids. You're like, Truly, truly. And they're like, what? But, you know, listen to me. Do you guys ever do that? Do you have to do that with your kids? Do you think the Lord has to do that with us? Absolutely. Uh, it says, I, I say to you, Jesus is still talking in, to Nicodemus, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And um, in Second Corinthians 2 Verse 14 uh, through, well, actually verses 12 through 15. Let's go there. The la- I think maybe the last place I'll have you actually turn today. So if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll give you a minute to get there. And uh, that's one thing, uh, while you're getting there, I'll tell you that you guys use PowerPoints here, right? Yeah. And so you guys are kind of lost and sleepy because there's no PowerPoints. Like, how? And I need to remember you use PowerPoints and do some PowerPoints because um, now, I was reminded, but I was reminded a week ago, not when we first set it up, but like, hey, if you have PowerPoints, I was like, ah, oh, that's the church that uses them. And I like them. They help us out. Uh, but I didn't get them done. I need to make a note uh, to do those. But if you would turn to 2 Corinthians 2.14, if you still know how to do that. Um, let's go there. It says this. Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Who knows the thoughts of God and only the Spirit of God? Uh, now we, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, and what he means, but a man that doesn't have the spirit, a non-Christian man, does not believe or accept the things of the spirit of God, 
and they're even foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, and yet he himself is appraised by no one. Meaning that uh, if you're a believer, if God has done a work of uh, regenerating and making you be born from above and born from a spirit, uh, he's put his spirit within you, and when you hear the words of God, uh, then you can start understanding them. Now, you may not understand them fully, but you can start getting what it means to to need a Savior and to need salvation. And you might you start getting a, an idea of what it means that Jesus died for the, for the ungodly. Uh, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we start understanding those things, and we understand that, well, God now owns me, and I owe him my life. But other people that don't have the Spirit of God, they're looking at you living for God, and they're like, I don't get that. Why do you spend so much time at church? Why do you spend so much time talking about those things? Uh, why do you spend so much time with a windblown look, right? Um, and, uh, but this, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, if I told you earthly things and you don't get it, how are you going to get it if I tell you heavenly things? What is he saying? I think he's saying this. Heavenly things would be like, uh, Nicodemus, let me tell you how salvation works. Well, I had to come. I had to be God himself. You know, I'm not just a teacher. I'm God himself. Uh, I had to be perfect. I had to come and die in your place because, you know, those are the deep things. And Jesus is saying, if you don't have a heart that's been changed by me, you're not going to understand those things. Um, if you don't understand the earthly basic things, how are you going to understand the deeper things? So what is the earthly things? I think the earthly things is what Jesus is trying to say already or what he has said already to Nicodemus. You need more than just your righteousness. Your righteousness doesn't cut it. You need a savior. You need a redeemer. That's the most basic thing. And you know, when we talk to people who don't know Jesus, um, if they don't believe they need Jesus, they're not going to listen. If they don't believe they need a Savior, if they're okay with the way things are going, they're, they're not going to listen to what you have to say. And I think that as Christians, we need to think about this a little bit. When we're okay with the way our lives are going, we're not going to think we need more Jesus. And I, I think we get that from Paul when he, over and over and over in, in Galatians and all his letters, he talks about how he's the chief of sinners. You know, he comes back to that earthly understanding that I need you, I need you every hour. And if we understand our need every hour, then we're going to long for him. If we're okay with where we're at, Christian or non-Christian, we're, we're not going to grow. Um, and that's partly what, what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus here, is if you uh, don't accept just the most basic, you need Jesus. You, you need a righteousness that's not your own. You're not going to understand the things I'm going to tell you. But then he starts telling him those things. And uh, I think it's kind of neat. We, we have some ideas that uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus um, through the scriptures. We only see him two more times, but it, it seems to me that, that the Lord saved and redeemed him, and that's, that's good news. Um, let's see. We're, uh, verse 13, we're down to there. We're getting close. It says, uh, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And uh, this is, let me, let me turn back to John 1 one more time. The last verse, John 1, 51. I'll just read it to you. It says, And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, he uses those same words um, before, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then in verse 18 of that same chapter, Know the Son. If you know the Son, you will know the Father. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father he has explained him. What is that saying? That's saying this. 
It's saying that nobody has seen God, but if you've seen Jesus, you have seen God. No one can come into the presence of God except for Jesus. And then if you would turn with me, I lied to you a few minutes ago. I need to preach about that. In Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, I'll read it to you. It would be on the screen if I, were, if I had made PowerPoints or if I had a secretary that did them well. Um, it says this, This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now what? Okay, a lot of stuff, but here's what it's saying. Jesus tells Nicodemus, there's only one way that you can be in the presence of God and be right with God, and that's if you're in Christ. You can't do it on your own. You can't be in the presence of God on your own because you're a sinner, but this says that there's one that has descended from God, the Son of God, and, uh, and then in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that the Son of God is in the very throne room, throne room of the Father. And it says that he is an anchor for our soul. And if we're anchored to Jesus, that's saying that in Jesus, we're in the very presence of God. And you can't be in the very presence of God by your good works or my good works or being a little better. Our only hope is to be anchored in Jesus, being connected with him. And so Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, the only way you can be right is to be connected to me. I'm your anchor. Um, and then, he, and then there's a, a transition, and Jesus starts teaching Nicodemus the, the details, the heavenly things. Like, how can these things be? Well, he's saying the only way it can be is if you're connected to me. Now, let me tell you more. And in verses 10 through 21, he starts telling them more. And uh, that looks like a good place to stop, you think? Yeah, we'll stop there. Many we're going to be a five-part series now. Um, but that's okay. Let me uh, tell you this. If you're, if you're a non-Christian, what should you get from the text of the, today, the, the dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus? Uh, if you're a non-Christian or if you think you're a Christian because you come to church or you do good works, you need to take this, that you need to be born from above. You need to give up on trying harder, doing more, even memorizing more, reading more, studying more, reading the Bible through more, listening to Galatians sermons after the fact more. It, you don't need to give up doing those, but you need to give up doing those thinking that's going to make you right with God. Um, and you need to say, Lord, I, I need you. I need you every hour. I'm the chief, I, there's nothing I can do. And then you need to glory in your Redeemer. And as you glory in your Redeemer, that spirit washes your heart and changes your heart, and it makes you want to read the Bible more, come to church more, go and study Galatians outside of Sunday more. Uh, but, but the difference between those two things, although the end result looks alike, the difference is the difference between heaven and hell. The difference is between being right with God and not being right with God. Huge things. If you're a Christian, I, I think what we would get out of this is like um, just glorying in the fact that Jesus has come down. There is one that came down. There is one that, that knows the truth. And, and there's one that speaks and we can, he's authoritative and we can believe what he says. And he has come down and he's come down and he's the anchor for your soul and is the anchor for my soul. And in Christ, we can be in the very presence of God. And in Christ and in glorying in our Redeemer, we can, we can start having the windblown look. We can look like the Pharisees, but have the foundation of grace and have the foundation of love. Um, so we'll end there and we'll pick back up at verse 10 or 11 next time. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of how 
you taught, just in your conversations day after day. And, and Father, even um, just in your life, we, we gain uh, a, an aspect of living that our lives are to be lived for the glory of God. And I, I have to admit, even though I'm a, a pastor and, and, and talk to students about your word regularly through the week, that, uh, Father, just so, so much of my time is not spent in a redemptive way. Father, I pray that we would look at the way you had conversations with people and you cared about their soul. Uh, Father, we don't know what's in people like you know, but we do know the need that they have and that they need a Savior and a Redeemer. They need to be born from above and born anew. Uh, Help us to to point them to our Redeemer and our Savior. And Father, I pray that those of us who have been under the teaching of your word today with glory and uh, our Redeemer and our anchor in a way that would cause us to walk after your ways and Uh, that we would have a windblown look, that other people would see our good works, but they wouldn't glorify us, but they would glorify our Savior who has come from heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.